1: To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Foundation. And the Finding Genius podcast. Quick message from the sponsor, Finding Genius Foundation. Uh, we have started work on the anxiety and depression codex. So the goal is uh, if any given professional knows, let's say one or 2% of all possible treatments for anxiety and depression, if we're able to research and uncover, let's say 20% of all of them and find every possible treatment for anxiety and depression, uh, it may be a home run for people suffering. So that's the goal of the project. If you want to find out more, go to findinggeniusfoundation.org. And today my guest is uh, Vanessa Labou. Uh, she studies people's behavioral responses to I guess what she calls emotionally valence stimuli different stimuli negative or positive and she does all this work at Rutgers and she's an associate professor there so I wanted to talk to her about her research so Vanessa thank you for coming
2: thank you for having me
1: yeah tell me about your your work are you uh you know it's not like uh BF Skinner from years ago where you would I guess, shock rat what they would do or Pavlov with dogs but what, what's your research about
2: my research is about the mechanisms that sort of shape fear and anxiety across development so that's very very broad but more specifically I'm 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 interested in the perceptual and cognitive sort of mechanisms that shape our emotional behavior. And the reason why I'm interested in perceptual mechanisms is I'm really interested in how where babies look for emotional information, what they see, how that kind of how the input that they get from the emotional world shapes what they know about emotions and then shapes their own emotional behavior.
1: What baby is of what age range?
2: Starting really young, like starting at four months, but all the way up to you know I study preschoolers as well. So I study infants from four months old to you know three to five year old.
1: Oh, so I would guess you know obviously for the four month olds, hopefully their stimuli is coming from their parents, and hopefully it's good. But what um you know let's start at that end of the range and then go up to preschoolers. But like what are you studying? What kind of uh, stimuli is common that affects you know babies of that age?
2: Yeah, so right now I'm studying how they attend to positive versus negative emotions, and these are usually photographs of people posing for like happy faces and angry faces, for example. So I study how they process this information over time, how that changes over time, and how the environment shapes that change. For example, if you're used to getting lots of positive emotions in your environment, so you're used to lots of smiling faces, a lot of positive information, how does that shape the, pr- the way you perceive positive and negative information? And likewise, let's say you're getting different kinds of emotional input, like from an anxious mom or a depressed mom. How does that shape the way you scan emotional faces and what you come to learn about them?
1: Oh, so what have you noticed in babies, you know, young ones, four months old, six months old, what kind of inputs give them what kind of, uh, you know, I guess, personality or these other abilities you're talking about?
2: Yeah. So the reason I'm interested in this is, is other research, including my own, has found that older children and adults who are socially anxious are really fast to pro- to um, detect threatening faces, for example. So researchers have asked whether this is something, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? So is it that anxious people are preferentially looking at things that negative social information or negative facial expressions in the environment? Or is it that at a young age, infants who are biased to look at these things are the ones that are more prone to develop anxiety? So that's what I'm really, really interested in. So I'm looking at trajectories of what I call a bias for threat. So faster looking, prolonged looking at at, at signals of threat, like an aggressive face, for example. And what we're finding is that biases for some threats like snakes develop really early on in life and, and don't seem to be impacted a lot by the environment. Whereas a bias for angry faces, for example, develops over time, it seems. So somewhere between four and 24 months, we see a bias for the detection of angry faces develop sometime in that time period. And it seems to be shaped by a few different things. So it seems to be shaped by the infant's temperament. So there are some babies who are just more sensitive than others and who react more fearfully to new situations than others. These infants seem to have different kind, different ways of attending to threatening faces than infants who are prone to be more social, for example. So it does seem that um, different looking patterns towards threatening Social uh, signals like threatening faces develops pretty early on and seems to work hand in hand with the baby's temperament, but also seems to be shaped by an in- like whether or not the individual has a stressful environment or an anxious mom. So,
1: what happens to these babies? I mean, they're how long until they're kind of locked into that way of being? Well,
2: we, don't, we know? don't know. That's the question. So, the newest finding is these biases develop early. So the next question is, is what does that mean for the next few years? If a bias for threat is going to facilitate the development of social anxiety or not, when does that happen? And when, like, how long do you have to reverse this pattern? So, I mean, that's exactly the question we're interested in.
1: Well, when you say bias, what does that mean? That those those babies that are uh, exposed to more negative emotions, what they, if someone frowns at them, that they Cry more than other babies. I mean, what happened?
2: What we're finding is that they. So, in one task, we found that between four and twenty-four months, babies who. So, we show them two uh, faces at once: either an angry face and a neutral face, or a happy face and a neutral face, side by side. And those faces appear for about a second, and then after they disappear, a dot appears in one of in place of one of the two faces. It's called a dot probe paradigm. So, people use it to study anxiety a lot, especially in adults. So, we've modified the paradigm for studying babies. And um, what we found is that for babies who have sort of a negative temperament, um, show high levels of negative affect, meaning like, they show high amounts of negativity, more crying than other babies. They're more difficult than other babies. The longer they look at the angry face, the slower they are to find the probe. In other words, angry faces sort of interrupt their processing. So when they're looking at an angry face, they have a hard time shifting to the next task, if that makes sense. What we Mm -hmm. find with anxiety is a little different. So babies who have highly anxious moms look for a really long time at angry faces as well. And we also find that they have a hard time shifting their gaze to look at something else. So it looks like babies who have this sort of more difficult or reactive temperament are the ones who basically get, you know, messed up by seeing, an, by seeing a negative social cue. Like it, it interrupts what they're able to do and how they're able to shift their attention.
1: So babies that are better adjusted, uh, they won't be taken out of their context or, you know, their, their thought process won't change, but as much or as long if they see an angry face?
2: They're better that. at shifting. Yeah. So they can look away. Babies who don't have anxious moms, for example can shift their gaze to something else. They can look away from an angry face to look at something else and it doesn't mess up their processing. So once the angry face disappears, they can go on to do, to find the probe, for example, easier than these babies who, who have a more negative temperament. So yeah. And, and this happens early on, you know, it happens in the first two years of life. So I mean, the big finding is that we're seeing different differences in processing early. The question is, what's gonna happen later?
1: Oh, are you able to follow any of these babies longitudinally until they get to their preschool years?
2: We're trying. So we've been following the same group of babies since they were four months of age. And now many of them are turning two and three. So we're hoping to follow them up to the preschool years to see how they're doing in preschool. Well, what
1: are you noticing so far? Before we continue. the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show.
2: We don't know yet. So we're, they're still, you know, it's still early.
1: Oh, but how long, how long are the longest uh, kids you've been following? Have you been uh, followed them for up to a year or two years or? Oh, we've been only following been a few since months?
2: they were four months old and now they're two and three.
1: Okay. So it's a long time. What So what have you noticed? What's their development look like versus uh, kids that aren't anxious?
2: Well, they, they're not anxious yet. So we're actually studying them before they develop anxiety. So the big question is who develops anxiety, right? So we know who might be at risk. So we have, you know, these babies with an inhibited temperament are probably the most at risk to develop anxiety. So the question is, how does that temperament work with their attention to sort of shape the development of anxiety over time? Mm-hmm. So two and three-year-olds are too young to have anxiety, but by the time they turn four, five, and six, we might actually be able to see anxious symptoms develop, which is why we want to study them for a long time.
1: But what do they have at ages two and three? Not anxiety, what? How would you characterize
2: it? We could characterize them by, you know, internalizing symptoms. So we can we can characterize them by symptoms of shyness, for example, um, sociability. So there are lots of measures that we could use, but certainly not going to be anything at like a clinical level at this age.
1: Okay, so you're watching them and waiting to see, uh, you know, what they're going to do as they get a bit older.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the goal is to find out all of these things that we're measuring at four and eight and 12 and 18 and 24 months. What are the, what's the constellation of factors that come together to best predict anxiety later?
1: Well, do you know at what age uh, people typically see anxiety in people?
2: I would have to look it up, probably at least not till six and seven. So it's not something that You know, you see in the preschool years, I mean, you have to be really careful about diagnosing, doing any kind of diagnosis at that early age. But we do see, you know, you can see the the beginning symptoms of anxious behavior at those ages.
1: Oh, what are you seeing even at two and three, if it's not full-blown?
2: Well, we don't know yet. We haven't analyzed that data yet, but at the 24 months, when we saw them at 24 months, we brought them in in pairs. So Mm. basically we look at their behavior when they're with a brand new peer. So if you want to look at like socially anxious behavior, you have to bring kids in with other kids that they don't know. So we look at, you know, how willing they are to play, how much they cling to the mom. These are the kinds of things you can see at two and three.
1: Okay. So once you're able to observe some behaviors, uh, what do you think this is going to lead to? What ideas for better or different parenting or how is this going to manifest?
2: I think it's going to tell us something about one, how early perceptual information starts playing a role in the development of anxious behaviors. So, and and how important the emotional input they get is. So one thing that we may not be able to change, for example, is a baby's temperament is quite, is biologically based, but it could be that having like, you know, certain kinds of environments are most beneficial to babies who might be prone to developing anxiety or even kind of not even full-blown anxiety, but anxious behaviors. But most importantly, uh, what we're seeing is what kinds of environmental impacts shape this. So like, having an anxious mom, we're also finding that having a a mom who's stressed out, for example, might, might shape these trajectories. So what it's gonna imply is that intervention early, very early on, meaning in the first month of life with mom might be most beneficial. So in other words, making sure mom has what she needs, making sure that anxious and depressed moms have the resources they need because they're giving emotional information to their infants. And that information is shaping the baby's understanding of other people's emotions and their expectations about social interactions. So if we find what we think we're going to find, which is that these early attention sort of shapes anxious behaviors, that carries implications for, for first of all, how early we would want to intervene and the method of intervention, how we would really want to increase our resources to mothers that might be experiencing some um, mental health difficulties, especially in the first two years of life.
1: Does any of this exist right now or, or no? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the
0: description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
2: I'm sure that interventions exist to help moms, but it's certainly not enough, right? When you think about how many moms, for example, experience postpartum depression or even the postpartum blues, it's like a lot of women go through this. I don't think that I don't think that we know enough yet about the repercussions of these kinds of things for infants. But if they are what we're starting to see, it suggests that like the mom's emotionality at home matters to the baby and what the baby learns.
1: It's just odd. So no one has studied this. There's no, there's no real data or conclusions.
2: No, I mean, we've always known that maternal, one of the best predictors of childhood anxiety is maternal anxiety, right? So we've known that for a really long time. We've known that there are certainly biological factors at play, right? But I think what's new here is that something as low level as infant attention, what they're looking at, I I think it's new to think about attention to a emotion as an early mechanism for the development of anxiety. I think that's relatively new.
1: Okay. I guess the, the, you know, the babies at uh, at an early stage, they need to protect themselves emotionally and physically. So maybe that's why their sense of uh, faces and emotion is heightened because that's critical for them to be successful or not.
2: Well, you know, they're learning what emotions mean at that time, right? They're learning that emotions predict specific behaviors. They're learning what behaviors those emotions predict, not only for themselves, right? So like, you know, you ask yourself, how baby? How are babies learning um, this information? One way is by observing emotions in others, right? So, you know, a, a typical mom is going to express some range of emotionality and babies will learn that that range of emotions, each one predicts a different kind of outcome, like happiness predicts this and a sad expression predicts something else, but that's gonna vary with the emotionality that they experience, right? So anxious, depressed moms might behave differently than mom, emotionally than, than moms who aren't anxious or depressed, Another way they might learn this is by expressing emotions themselves, babies, I mean. So babies might cry and, or babies might laugh and the response of the mother might teach them something about what emotions predict or what emotions are, right? Like when I'm happy, I get a happy face back or when I'm sad, I get comfort. Th- those kinds of things may also vary based on the mom's mental health, how responsive she is, how consistent she is. So in this way, it makes a lot of sense that the first year or two of life is really important because these, what they learn during this time for, forms the basis of what they know about emo- emotion and how they process emotional information. So it makes a lot of sense to me that the emotional environment around them is going to play a critical role in that.
1: Are you looking at fathers or are you just looking at mothers only?
2: Um, we do allow fathers in the study. The thing is, the reason why we talk about moms isn't because we want to exclude dads. It's because moms are the ones that usually show up to the lab. So we we do have fathers in our longitudinal study, but it's a minority.
1: Okay. So um, at what point do you think you're going to be getting uh, some more significant data?
2: Well, the problem is COVID. So right now, the data we're collecting, the follow-up data we're collecting, Collecting on our sample are all in the form of questionnaires because bringing them into the lab is not something that we're doing yet. So the, we're just going to have to see how the next year pans out. We are applying for a renewal. So this was, this longitudinal study was funded by NIH and we're Applying for uh, more funding so that we can follow these kids into preschool and beyond. Uh, so hopefully we'll get the funding and we can follow them longer. And you know, hopefully we can bring them into the lab again soon.
1: Okay, well, very good, Vanessa. Where where can people find out more about your research and keep tabs uh, until it develops more?
2: You can look at our lab website. It's my lab is called the Child Study Center, and our website is childstudycenter slash And I will put it in the chat for you. And what we see there. What you'll see there is, um, you know, descriptions of our research. We have an updated page with all of our publications that anybody can access. And we also have uh, mentions of us in the media.
1: Oh, nice. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Vanessa, thank you for coming on the podcast. And uh, it sounds like you're going to find out some really interesting things. It's just a matter of a bit more time. But
2: uh, yeah, it's a matter of a bit more time. Yeah. Yeah. We're very (laughs) excited.
0: Well, very good. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.